the technology. There we go. There we go. Ah, good morning. As we uh, worshiped together this morning and, and read through, we saw that today is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry. We're drawing closer and closer to the, the best event in history where Christ rose from the grave. It is the singular event that our faith hinges on, so we get to celebrate that next week. But today is Palm Sunday. Well, why do we call it Palm Sunday? Well, there's several reasons uh, because palms were waved, right? We see in the reading this morning as we were worshiping together, all four Gospels account of Jesus' triumphal entry. And whenever you have all four Gospels together, you can call what's called a harmony of the Gospels. You can grab all four accounts. I'm primarily going to be staying in Matthew's account this morning, um, but we're going to be kind of jumping around, so uh, you know, forgive me for having... They're going to be up on... The ones that we're going to read together will be up on the screen for you to read, so you don't have to be jumping uh, and through. But spent a lot of time in prayer about this week and, of course, next week and Good, uh, Good Friday and what the Lord wanted to do with this. And so this, this morning is going to be a little bit different than we typically, uh, you typically have for me, where we're working exegetical through the text, line by line, and, and things of that nature. We're going to focus on the events of, of Palm Sunday and what it meant and what it means to us. So with that being said, let's, let's pray together, and we will engage with the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the ability to come and worship you and uh, all that we do, our singing, our playing, our offering. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for the ministry of prayer, the ability to lift those uh, before you, before your throne, uh, with confidence that you hear us. Lord, I pray that as we uh, have your word open this morning that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would give us wisdom and insight, that it wouldn't just be a message that lands on our ears, Lord, but it would transform us, that uh, your Holy Spirit would move and guide us through this time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So all four Gospels record the triumphal entry of Jesus. Um, each one records how the people laid their garments down on the ground and waved these palm branches, cut, cut palm branches and waved them uh, as Jesus entered the city on a donkey. All to the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But what does all of this mean? Well, the message this morning is a king enters Jerusalem. So they, they, let's talk about the Hosanna piece, right? So if you're in Matthew 21, you can see uh, where in verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Verse 7, They brought the donkey and in the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So what does Hosanna mean? What, are we, what were they proclaiming? What were they shouting? Well, this word 
literally means save or please save. So they were crying to Jesus to save them. Save us. Save us, Lord, who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us in the highest. Oh, here we go. I forgot I put those up there. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, we have to talk about this Son of David talk. You know, so the Son of David would, would represent that they're shouting out to the Son of David to save them. Right? That's what Hosanna means, is to save or to save us. And they're specifically identifying Jesus as the Son of David, which means that they believe that he was the Davidic king. So what are they claiming? Well, Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6 reads, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This uh, prophecy of Jesus declares that the, the coming king was going to come through the line of David, which if we go back to Matthew's, you know, Matthew chapter 1, we clearly see that line, that lineage, the genealogy of, of Jesus, that he came through the line of David. And so as the people are, are waving the branches and laying the garments down, they're remembering, because this was part of their teaching in, in synagogue, they're like, hey, God promised that a king would come through David. This must be him. They're remembering that from Jeremiah, and this certainly isn't the only uh, prophecy that speaks to this, but this is one of the main uh, Prophecies that speak to a coming king through the line of David. So with their mouths, they're proclaiming that Jesus is the king. That Jesus is the Messiah because the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. That's what this is all about. And so the G Jewish people, they were waiting the Messiah, the coming king. And so as Jesus enters into town... Uh, they're with their mouth proclaiming that Jesus is he, that Jesus is the coming one, the coming king. So when the people are shouting Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they are proclaiming Jesus as king with, his, with their mouths. But what about the garments? What about the garments and what about the palms? What is all of that about? Well, we're not Jewish and we're not in that time, but so we got to do a little digging. What are, all, what are the garments about? We see in the text here, all of the text, but especially here in Matthew, it says, uh, verse 8, 21 verse 8 says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So what were they doing with these garments? We see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. 
Mark 11:8, and many spread their cloaks on the road. Luke 19:36, and as he rode, he being Jesus, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. What's up with these cloaks, and why are they being spread on the ground? Well, it was the act of spreading garments or cloaks on the ground was one of recognition, and it was also an act of pledging allegiance to a king. They were pledging support to the new king by this act. Well, where do we see that, Pastor? Well, 2 Kings 9, 11 to 13. When Jehu came out of the servants, uh, out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. And they said, That is not true. Tell us now. And he said, Thus, and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him and on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet, proclaiming, Jehu is king. This is a a cultural uh, signifying act that by taking your cloak off and laying it before an individual to walk on or to sit on was an act of pledging allegiance to a king. You're, you're, you're in action claiming a person king. So they're shouting, Hosanna, save us, right, to the king, the Davidic king. They're, so with their mouths, they're proclaiming Jesus king. With their actions, they're also proclaiming him king. What about the palms? What about the palm branches? What does this signify? Well, the palm branches, historically, uh, with some extra-biblical text uh, with the Maccabees, which was a historical document, um, shows that palm branches symbolized Jewish nationalism. Their coins had palm branches on them, uh, and they would wave palms to, in, in victory. So they're cutting branches and they're waving palm branches because here comes the king, the conqueror, who's going to have victory as Jesus enters town. This, their actions of the garments and the palm trees, these are both actions, and they both are showing that they are pledging allegiance to Jesus, the king of the Jews, their Messiah. So we see that they're, they're doing this both with their mouth and with their action. But why? Why did they, why did they believe that Jesus was the King of the Jews? And, and why did they believe that Jesus was the Messiah? And why were they proclaiming now that Jesus was He? Well, we have some Old Testament prophecy to look at. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a direct prophecy to what is literally happening right now with Jesus as he enters town on a colt. Right? Look at verse 7. It says, They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them, entering town. 
as they proclaim him king. This is not the only prophecy about this. We also see an even older prophecy that goes all the way back to Genesis 49, verses 10 and 11 about Jesus. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Clearly, the king was coming on a donkey, which it's always hard to not say like Shrek, right? Donkey! Right? It's so hard not to say it like that. But Jesus enters town on a donkey, which God prophesied way ahead of time. We're talking about thousands of years that this would be the case. So they believe that the Messiah, based on what has been taught by the Pharisees in synagogue, uh, their religious leaders, that this one that was coming to save them, that would rescue them, would look just like Jesus is as he's now entering town on a donkey, on a colt. So let's talk about their expectation of this day. Clearly, They're proclaiming Jesus as king with their mouths. They're proclaiming Jesus as king with their actions. But what are they expecting? What are they expecting Jesus to do? Well, they believe that the Messiah, that Jesus, this king, was there to save their nation from the evils of Rome. How how their religious leaders... um, how their religious leaders interpreted the text was that the Savior would come and liberate them from the evils of the world and that it would restore the Jewish nation, Israel. And so here, uh, the people of Israel have been in bondage to Rome for many years now, and they, they are expecting Jesus, the conqueror, to come in and kick Rome out. This is their expectation of Jesus, the Messiah, that he was coming to liberate the Jews from the evil Roman Empire. Well, why did they expect this? Why was this their expectation? Why was the expectation that the Messiah was here to liberate them from Rome? And why now, of all, of all the timing in, in all of history, why now? Well, because God ordained it. As Jesus is entering town, it's also the very first day of a very important Jewish holiday, Passover. So we have to explain what's going on here. Oh, I already... So their mouths proclaim Jesus as the king. Their actions pledged allegiance to Jesus as the king. But their expectation was that this king had come to liberate them from Rome. So our application, I I skipped ahead with my talking. The application here that we can see is that if our hearts do not submit to King Jesus, our words and actions are meaningless. We're going to see down the road on Friday, their words and their actions are meaningless. What they're proclaiming, what they're acting out is meaningless 
Because when, at the end of the day, these same people shall crucify him. Because their hearts weren't submitted to the king. So the application that we see here is that if our hearts do not submit and surrender to King Jesus, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what our actions look like. If we never surrender to King Jesus, it's all meaningless. We explain the expectation that they have, but the reality is their expectation, remember, is that Jesus was coming to liberate them from Rome. But the reality is is that Jesus came to liberate the world from the penalty of sin once and for all. It's a difference in reality versus expectation. See, the, the, the Israelites believed that the Messiah was coming just for them. That, that the Messiah, who they're now proclaiming to be Jesus, was there just for Israel. But God had bigger plans. God had bigger plans because God loved the world, not just Israel. Yes, he loves Israel, right? Uh, salvation comes out of Israel for the world. But the, the, their expectations were focused just on them when the reality is that Jesus came to liberate the world from the penalty of sin once and for all. Let's uh, explain the expectation because I got ahead of myself earlier. The triumphal entry was on the first day of the Jewish holiday, Passover. Passover was the celebration of God's liberation of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. So you can see how the people are starting to connect some dots about Jesus, the King. So what is God's plan? Why did all of this happen? Why is Jesus' triumphal entry the same day as the first day of Passover? And what is it, why is it so important? Well, we've got to go back to Exodus and understand what Passover was all about. Exodus 12, verses 3, 5, and 6. This was the commandment given to Moses from God. It says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. The tenth day was when the men, the, 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 the men of the household selected a lamb for their family to be a sacrifice for their family. The lamb had requirements. The lamb was required to be without blemish. And the, the year old, is, is, what that would mean is that the, the lamb is mature, is, is, has reached maturity, fully grown. The tenth day is the day that the men chose the sacrificial lamb for their household is the same day that Jesus enters Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. In other words, well, 
John 1.29, what does he say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is presenting himself as both their king and the sacrificial lamb in one act. We can see that, but the people at the time just saw a king come in and deliberate from Rome. But Jesus is presenting himself in this act as both king and lamb. So why does it matter to submit and follow Jesus as king? Why, why, why does the words and the actions alone not matter? Why do we have to submit and follow Jesus as king? My question is, what other king would give up his own life to pay the price required to save yours? Jesus, the night he was betrayed, established a new covenant in his blood, the blood of the Lamb of God, which we're going to be partaking in in a little while. And so the question is, are we going to follow? Are we going to surrender our hearts to Jesus as king? What other king would give up his own life to pay the price required to save yours? Let's explain the reality here. Romans 3.10 says that as it is written, which is a quote from Psalm 14.1-3 and 53.1-3, none is righteous, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no one is righteous. All have sinned and fall short. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we still fell short, Christ came and died for us. Why did He have to die? Well, Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin must have death. And if we're all sinful, we all must die. But Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. which makes my heart cry out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Why? I don't deserve that. Why would I deserve a king who's perfect to die on my behalf? Acts 4.12 says that there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, uh, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, connect the dots, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all those who do that, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
What a great promise. Romans 8.35 says, "Who, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our King. This is why we come to Him and we surrender because this is what we receive. But unfortunately, there can only be one king in our life. I'm a guy who loves medieval times. I love knights and armor and kings and battles, and that's like my cup of tea uh, uh, reading. I love to read fiction in that, that time. What I know about kings is that there's only one king. There's never two, at least not in one dynasty, right? One one kingdom. There's only one king in the kingdom. Just as there's only one king in an earthly kingdom, there's only one king in the heavenly kingdom, Jesus. And if we're part of that kingdom, there can only be one king. Which means that if we claim any loyalty to any other king, even ourselves, we have just committed treason against the king. We've we've pledged allegiance to someone other than Jesus by doing so. And that's treason to the king. Which, in those times, meant you got your head chopped off. Thankful for grace. (laughs) The reality is, even as believers, we take that throne back. Sometimes multiple times a day. Sometimes we take the throne away from Jesus. Because there can only be one king. And when we do that, we have usurped the only good king. When we've taken the throne back, We've usurped the king. And the only way to allow Jesus back on that throne is by getting off of it. Which means we have to surrender the throne. We have to repent. We have to surrender it. But the good news is is that in 1 John 1.9, it says that this is two believers... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What kind of king does that? What kind of king, when you take his throne away from him and you confess that you've done so and surrender, says, I I exonerate it? I don't know of any earthly king that would do that. But King Jesus says, I wipe it all clean as if it never existed in the first place. That's a king I'm willing to follow. 
Not because I deserve it. Lord knows I don't. It's only by his mercy and his grace that we're able to. So I have a video that I'd like to, to show you. So we're going to pause the recording for those that will listen later, just for copyright reasons. I have a video that I'm going to show. Uh, this is a sermon. You guys can go ahead and pause that. Um, I think 1970s um, by a pastor loved us and chose us. That for any heart to bow and any need to bow before this king shall receive the greatest gift of all time, eternal life with him. So Palm Sunday is about recognizing a king, but the Jewish people didn't recognize who the king truly was. They, they were proclaiming Jesus as king with their mouths and, and, they were, and they were showing allegiance to Jesus as king with their garments and their actions. But their expectation was that this king was going to provide freedom from their Roman evil. And when it became clear later on this week that Jesus wasn't here to do that thing, they were quick to turn on their king because they hadn't submitted their hearts to Jesus as king. The sad reality is there's lots of people that proclaim Jesus as king with their mouths, that show allegiance to Jesus with their actions. But scripture makes it very clear there's going to be a day there's going to be a day where the goats are separated from the sheep. Israel celebrated Jesus coming as king, only to later die on the cross and be buried in their minds as any other man, only to raise again three days later victorious over the grave in death and sin. And the good news is that this king, this same king, is coming again. And it's going to be beautiful. The whole world will see him come. The whole world will know the king is here. There will be no denying it. There will be no question that Jesus is king. And we know very clearly that there will be a day where every tongue will confess Every knee will bow and proclaim that Jesus is king. But that alone isn't what saves. It has to be the surrender piece. We must be willing to surrender our lives to Christ, our king. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, we... We have no reason other than Christ to come before you and say thank you. You are a good king, Jesus. We may not understand completely all that we go through by following you, and we may even 
have expectations that following you looks a certain way. But the reality is, Lord, that you are the only one that created the way for us to receive the free gift of God, eternal life with you. We thank you that you were both king and lamb. That you sacrificed your life as the lamb of God, establishing a new covenant in your blood for all who would believe. For all who would surrender, repent of their sin, and turn to you. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because we can earn it. It's simply because of your goodness and mercy. So Lord, we say thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.